Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Tom Lucy, what is your most prized possession? My most prized possession. Possession. Um, your girlfriend. She's <laughs> very much possessed. My health. Okay. There you go. I mean, what is the thing that if there was a fire in your house, you would you would grab it before it burned down? Uh, my health. I don't know. What what would yours be? Uh, I don't have that many high value things in my house. I have a diary that I wrote. Actually, which the 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 uh, uh, you would uh, grab a copy of your book. <laughs> the the origin of this podcast came from my diary that I wrote when I was traveling, traveling the world, mm. and, and I oh uh, I've traveled, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh I've traveled, and I would grab Spain? that. Spain? Have you heard of Spain? <laughs> Boy, have I traveled? Oh yeah. <laughs> so you don't have anything in your possession that you're like, oh, I would, I, I wouldn't better not. I don't have any. I don't. I don't. I can't think of anything that's like that where it's like not not got material value, but it's sentimental. I think you're quite. You have the potential to be quite nomadic. Do you think? Yeah, I think all comedians do weirdly because you're constantly on the road. Yeah, we are traveling. sort of quite outsidery, aren't we? And and typically, what happens is that you go, okay, I go to all my gigs around the country, and I'll take my kettle. My what? I don't know. You know, they, they always have like a little. Everyone has like a little thing they take. Which like comedian a, travels with a kettle? I always hear like Russell Kane travels with like a coffee yeah, cup I mean, and like Russell some Kane, almonds. He's an exception. He's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> mental. But Russell any of the other ones, <laughs> and he has a little bag of almonds. So he takes. Yeah, I mean, Russell is a whole thing in his own. <laughs> he like takes his own like bullet coffee machine. Yeah, that's what I it? mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the kind of like butter and coffee. Okay, well, so what is your what is your thing in your life that you treasure the most? Then, as in, is it? Well, I've got like a I've got this piece of art that I would take, but I'd have to unhang it from the wall. <laughs> so it's quite big, and I feel like it, in a fire, it would be quite a stressful thing to do. <laughs> hey, well, listen, our, our guest today, Sarah Wilson, yeah, doesn't really have any possessions, yeah, or a house, really, or a house, or anything. She she lives this what 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 lots of people know is like a minimalist. Oh, yeah, but she wouldn't like you she saying that. She would hate that. But you'll find that. out why. But she, Sarah Wilson, um, is recognized for starting the movement of writing the book, I Quit Sugar. Mm. Um, she is an Australian author, a journalist, presenter. She's done so many things that she just dropped into conversation that 
Like she, we ho- didn't even get to continue. She hosted MasterChef. We, we, that, we, we, we didn't even talk about that. She we, just dropped it in. She, and then she hosted a live chat show, jumping on a trampoline that she doesn't even remember. It's insane. It's insane. I've never, I've never experienced someone who's she's such a yes person mm. that in in a in a fabulous way that everything disastrous and not disastrous happens to her. She basically balances herself on a seesaw mm. of destruction and not destruction all the time, which is a kind of cool place to be, I suppose. Yeah. That's actually true. People say like true creativity is when you're in that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's... Where you don't quite know what's going to happen with it. Yeah, there's that thing about being in a swimming pool and you walk out, you're in the shallow end and you keep walking into the deep end and then just when you get to the point where you can't touch the floor anymore, that's where you should be. There. Oh my God. Why didn't you say that in the episode? How about that? Fucking. Jesus Christ. Get that up, you. Pipe. Pipe. Get that up, your pipe. Get up that. It's good that. David Bowie said that. It's David not, Bowie it's not me. It? That's David Bowie. Oh. It's good, isn't it? You should claim it. It's keep, Lucy. keep walking until you can't feel the floor anymore. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Wilson on the podcast today. Tom and I are hosting it today. And it's just a fab, fab really episode. If you one wanna, of my favorites. One of my favorite. If you want to get in touch, please do on our podcast at Private Podcast um, on Instagram. We also have TikTok. Go and check us out there. Right, should we begin the episode? Yes. Here we go. Sarah Wilson on the podcast. Enjoy. Sarah Wilson, we like to do something at the beginning of the podcast, um, which is brand new, is where we ask our guests to look at the camera and uh, describe themselves in 30 seconds. Okay, you're going to time me? No, you, no time limit, <laughs> but we're just going to guess it. But it's up to you. Whatever you want to say, it's down to you. Okay. Um, I'm Sarah Wilson. I'm clearly Australian. I have lived nomadically for about eight years. Uh, I was a journalist. Uh, I edited Cosmopolitan. I hosted the first series of MasterChef, and then I have atoned for my sins. Um, <laughs> and I launched I Quit Sugar. And did a lot of work here in the UK for that. And then I wrote a bunch of books. First, we make the beast beautiful on this one wild and precious life. And I have a podcast. And essentially, my entire life is about trying to solve all the problems going on in the world. The general clusterfuck of fragmentation. Does that work? That was fab. That. <laughs> that normally what happens when we do that, our guest goes, uh, "What is the?" Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, so that was a great. That was very. Impressive. You gave me a job to do. Oh my god! There's no god. point being. Humble. Clusterfuck oh. of Fragmentation yeah. is a great name for like an album or something. Mm, or I just love. life. Yeah. It's, I think it sums up 2022. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. Did you, did you feel that? Because obviously living in Australia, we had, you know, Australia was one of the places which really locked down. Mm. Like it, that, that must have been pretty intense. It, and was scary. A, it was Fortress Australia. It was and it wasn't. I mean, for me, it was hard because I'm used to being on the road, but um, it was particularly hard for people in Victoria. So that's one of the smallest, well, it's a, it's a major state. It's the second largest in terms of population. And they had the longest lockdown in the world. It was like close to 300 days. Wow. Like continuous. That is mad. Yeah. It, it was. And is I think, that where you were? No. Okay. I was, we had a five kilometre radius for several months. Um, and that was problematic because I live on Bondi Beach. And so the radius, I only got half a circle of radius because there's the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know what I mean? I felt cheated because <laughs> yeah, I had a yeah, much yeah. smaller area <laughs> yeah. I could roam in. Although I did do a lot of ocean swimming just to max up that. to a distance of two and a half kilometers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's exactly right. You know how a radius works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to show off. Actually, um, so yeah, I I found it. I mean, for for a while it was a novelty, and um, I managed to sort of get different types of work done. But then it. it, it I don't think it's good for the human spirit, you know. Um, And so you probably would have noticed there's a lot of Australians in the UK and Europe at the moment. Um, We've all just sort of taken off again. Um, Yeah. yeah. Because it's one of those things though, but also I suppose, and you honestly, even, you know, obviously Tom and I researched you and looked at what you've done. But then even when you first came into the room here, you know, you, you bring such a great energy. And for someone who gives such a great energy, being kind of restricted must have been a terrible thing just for yourself or mental well-being for all that kind of thing. I mean, that that yeah. must have been quite hard, no? Well, thank you very much for the compliment. That's very kind of you. I think, yeah, I've got a, a fair bit of physical energy. Like I, I found that very hard, but I maxed that radius. Like <laughs> I found every little kind of parkland and foreshore that I could do rock scrambling on. Uh-huh. And so I actually really, I actually don't mind creating like, fun out of chaos I don't mind um creating you know sort <laughs> you of, see it as a challenge yeah already. yeah I can polish turds you know what I mean <laughs> like I can make something out of and so you're I gonna actually, get on very well on this podcast <laughs> <I think. laughs> so I quite like yeah I quite like the challenge of you know I just thought well here we are and a phrase that I work with that my meditation teacher often says to me is you know, he laughs at what happens to me because, of course, I have these extraordinary experiences because I've lived out on the road and all around the world and I take risks. And so I meet these incredible people and these big, amazing things happen to me and I'm very, very lucky. But on the flip side, a lot of disasters also happen and I've learned to just accept that. And so my meditation teacher, Tim, always says to me, Sarah, you've been rendered choiceless once again. And he says to me, to be rendered choiceless is the greatest freedom. So it's like, you know, mm. if you give kids a, just a small room to play, they'll find the bit of dirt and stick to play with, you know, mm. and they'll have the, uh, really good fun. Yeah. And I think it's also when we as humans, I think part of the lockdown that was quite nice was to be bound and then to make the most of what was in the small arena that we mm. had. And I think we were grateful for it because we, you know, there's that whole paradox of choice, you know, mm. when we've got so many options out there, that is absolutely anxiety-making. I mean, yeah. the root cause of anxiety is um, decisions. Like yeah. it's the same part of the brain. It's a very primal part of the brain, the amygdala, that has had to evolve to make decisions and that's how mm. the human brain has sort of risen to become a quite a sophisticated one. But it's also the part of the brain that controls the flight or fight mechanism and the two are interwoven. So when you've got to make lots of decisions, you get anxious and when you're anxious, you can't make decisions. I mean... That's so interesting. I definitely felt like way calmer during the lockdown because, yeah, like you say, you, you, you don't have to make any decisions. It's like you can't do anything. Yeah. So that, and there's no FOMO because yeah, yeah, everybody, yeah. we were all in it together, at least for part of it. I think for people in Victoria, Melbourne being the capital, it was very, very hard because yeah. they watched the rest of the world get on with life and so there was FOMO by that stage and it actually created a lot of violence and anger and resentment and and anxiety. That, that's a really interesting thing about the anxiety and choices and responsibilities, right? And that's why, you know, the sort of Peter Pan phenomenon, phenomenon is, is that the word? Yeah, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's like a really dangerous one to follow because what Peter Pan desired, right, was this 
idea to live in this world with no responsibilities. And mm. when you become an adult, you get responsibilities. And, you know, Captain Hook was this tyrant and all these different things. He had a hook and he was grumpy because he was an adult and time was constantly chasing him. That's the point of the story, which is so interesting. And it's so true. I definitely, what I had to do, because I had anxiety or have anxiety, I never did admin because admin gave me anxiety. Oh God, I, so I'd put off, I'd put off, I'd put off, I'd put off, I'd put off until it was too late. And now actually what I try and do is with, especially with responsibilities, I get them done as soon as they pop up because that's the most yep. important thing to do. In the morning, get your anxiety responsibilities done and then you can continue a day without thinking about it. Is that sort of the Peter Pan thing that you just, it's it, admin was a sort of a grown-up thing to do. Mm, completely. I mean, a big part of combating anxiety, like sometimes I think that, um, so I've, you know, I've got a history of bipolar, OCD, like I've done all the flavours, you know, over the years. And the I, <laughs> yes. And I've arrived in <laughs> a space where, you know, I'm the best I've ever been, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and it really is just being sheer years on the planet. Yeah. And I think growing up, like, is a really big part of it. I was always very mature and probably that contributed to my anxiety but and took on adult responsibilities from a very young age. Um, but I, I think that the idea of facing hard things is a really big part of working through anxiety uh -huh. and a big part, I, I talk a lot about this to various corporates and, and government organisations back in Australia, but with kids, like a lot of people talk about anxiety in kids and parents who might be listening, you know, would know just all the stuff that's going on, school refusal, all of that kind of thing. But the bigger problem, it's not like we've got an anxiety um, epidemic amongst kids, it's a lack of resilience epidemic. And we are a culture that cocoons ourselves, right, from responsibilities and hard shit. Mm. We, mm. Like every, they say that about 90% of all technology invented in the last 30 years is geared at cocooning us from discomfort. So, you know, we haven't been really solving world crises with our technology. We've been working out how to get our takeaway pizza to us faster with a nice little orb so we can see where it is so mm. that we don't have to get anxious about how long the pizza is going to take. You know what I mean? So it's like it, it's it, everything is set up to prevent us from building that resilience muscle. That is so And growing up and I, growing up and doing hard things. Wow. I never even looked at it from that, from that point of view. You know, I'm a... a I had, we had Wim Hof on the podcast, right? Yep. Who is sort of renowned for being, you know, the Iceman and, and doing cold therapy. And his whole thing is, is that we live in comfort. Yep. And we surround ourselves with comfort all the time. So what we used to do is we'd wake up in the morning, the saber-toothed tiger would be outside our tent, our cave, whatever it was. And we have to defend ourselves all the time. We had to hunt for food. We had to scavenge. We had to do all these different things. And we don't have that now. So actually when we are hit with issues, problems, responsibilities, anxieties, whatever it is, we can't handle it. That is so funny. That is so interesting about the anxiety. And so what he suggests is cold therapy. You shock your body yeah. every single morning. So therefore, when you are shocked in life, you're used to it. And, mm. and that I never even thought about it. We don't have an anxiety problem. We have a resilience problem. Yeah. That is so profound. And I we've, got, we've got a resilience problem right at a juncture in history when shit is getting real. Mm. It's going to get mighty uncomfortable. I mean, have a look around the world. In Australia, we had massive fires and then we had covid and then we've had floods now for nine months, like really land-destroying floods. I mean, mm. at the moment there's pictures of cows like being washed out to sea. It, this, is, this is the reality of the world. It's highly uncomfortable. Everybody's complaining around Europe and everything about the heat. Mm. 
mm. you know. Mm. Um, I, and in the UK, I think you've got a heat wave coming up. I think it's going <laughs> to nudge 30 degrees Celsius in the moment. Yeah. Um, um, boy, it's hot when it does that. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm not going to work. Ooh, <laughs> I know, hot. it's very funny. And I'm like, oh, thank God I can take my jumper off. Um, so, but yes, life is going to get more and more uncomfortable. And look at the fragmentation happening politically, mm. um, you know, We've got uh, a hunger crisis about to hit again for the first time in 30 years. We thought we'd solved it or at least gone a long way to solving it. Mm. We are going to have massive food shortages, massive water shortages. Um, You know, anxiety is going to go through the roof and we are as ill-equipped as we've ever been in history. And so we need to... Mm. Can I really fully swear? Oh, you swear as much as you We need to harden the fuck up yeah, and fast. Yeah. I can feel my anxiety rising during this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but really? No. <laughs> hearing what you said about food shortages. Well, my and biggest thing is that you're start hoarding food now, aren't you? <laughs> well, my ex- I felt quite calm before this. <laughs> the area that I'm investigating at the moment. So, you know, my last book was sort of about this, these kind of topics. What was the title of your last book again? This One Wild and Precious Life. Great title. Yeah, it comes from a poem by. Um, Mary Oliver, which is a beautiful poem if anybody wants to go and look it up. It's a short one. I don't like long poems, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I usually gloss over them, but this one's a good one. Um, and I I basically travel around the world with that bag over there. That yeah, you, carry brought on. A, you brought a big kind of travelling rucksack with you. Yeah, it's Carry On. Carry you, can on. Ca- you can get it onto EasyJet. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> is it the one, that you, it's the one that you roll down? Yeah. You can roll it down. It looks like top. one That's of those, like a, gap, like a gap year traveller's bag, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm 48. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still gapping. Um, but yes, I live, I mean, I famously reduce, so I travel. So when you said earlier that you don't really live anywhere, what does that mean? Does that mean you don't have like a, an address? Well, COVID meant I had to yeah. rent a place and I got furniture for the first time in my life. You're joking. Wow. Yeah. No ways. Yeah. Did that you... is so badass. And I got it all from the street and eBay and it's all secondhand. You went and stole it from people's <laughs> from the street. <laughs> oh, well, just, you know, people leave stuff out, you know, yeah. council pick up. And I, so I just got everything from there. And so currently... This is not an invite to anyone and we won't put my address out there, <laughs> but I've never locked my apartment for three years because it's like the shit was free. Take it if it means something Is this your you. apartment in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. So, um, What streets that are? <laughs> <laughs> it's near the beach. I've disclosed that, haven't I? Um, well, my, a- my friends know and they actually, when they need to go to the toilet, they just pop in. Yeah, they know Sarah's apartment will be open. <laughs> so but you know, sh- you were saying they earlier shit about in your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, I'm not house proud. So, you know. But anyway, so yeah, like I've had all this. Um, I've, I've I've settled to a certain extent. I rent an apartment. I don't own a car. I ride a bike everywhere. I it's I really amazing. haven't. You know. But I'm, you know, Jamie was saying earlier about getting anxious about admin and yes. Do, yes. do you feel in a way that you've sort of opted out of that? Yes. I have so a really good technique, and obviously, um, I discuss these kinds of things in all the platforms that I've operated in. Mm. Um, a really good um, technique for uh, really reducing anxiety mm. is to limit the choices you make yeah. each day. Yeah, you know, going back to my meditation teacher's phrase, you know, to be rendered choices. Well, you can render yourself choices in this to the extent that you just find ways to make less decisions. Yeah. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and um, Steve Jobs when he's alive, uh, they all wore the same suit or the same outfit every single day. Like Mark Zuckerberg yes. has like 20 of the same grey T-shirt and, you know, mm. and so on. Um, and Barack Obama was the same. He had two suits for the entirety of his presidency, a grey one and a blue one or something. 
And they use the same science, which is this idea that if you overuse the decision-making muscle early in the day in particular, like when you're getting dressed and deciding what breakfast to have, it will actually reduce your capacity to make good decisions later and lead to anxiety. So that whole idea of morning routines, you know how that was a really so big true. thing? It's like reducing decisions. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So I, I rattle off a whole bunch of techniques. In fact, I've got a, choice, a, a whole chapter on it on how to reduce your decisions. But techniques like ask somebody who really knows their thing about whatever it might be. So if you had to go and buy a rucksack, you'd go yeah. and ask somebody like me, right? You wouldn't bother researching it because that's too many decisions. Yeah, you'd say, yeah, yeah. which one should I get? Yeah. And there's all kinds of studies mostly coming in out of my, MIT and Harvard that show that even asking a complete stranger, they're likely to make a better decision than you. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah, there's a lot of delegating but decisions. There's definitely blah, blah. there's definitely a, a thing with like uh, owning less having less possessions makes you less anxious totally i mean the other tip i have is don't go to the shops so shop that a shopping mall is just like a zoo of decisions Mm. and i can't stand it it depresses me well it's so interesting there's a couple of things here which i always call it so in business it's actually really important to do that and i call it the netflix syndrome Right. So what happens is when you're creating a product, right? And and we're going to get in this later because I have a confectionery company, and I yes. know, and and so I, I can't wait to have you, a, you and I have got so much in common. I can't. <laughs> I, know, I can't wait. But but the important thing with that was is that you want to limit options. So what a lot of people do is that they go right. We're going to create a range of different things, and I call it the Netflix syndrome. You come home at the end of your working day or whatever it is, you go and watch Netflix with your friends, your partner, whoever it is, and you end up just scrolling through it, not be able to pick anything. There was too much choice. Correct. So yep. what you want to do is limit choice. So therefore you never fear, it's never the fear of missing out. So you never go, oh, I haven't got that one. Oh, I haven't got that yeah. one. And actually you just make a sort of defined um, uh, sort of opinion or something and you choose it. And the second thing is, it's so funny about um, possessions and things. There's a great quote, which a friend of mine called Sean Sutherland, who came on the podcast, she has a company called A Plastic Planet. She's about ridding the world of plastic. Okay. And she does an amazing, it says amazing quote that she got from someone else which is uh, never as a generation have we wanted so much but needed so little. And it's so mm. true, right? What we, we have so many things, Amazon, all this different stuff we want, this love lamp, this clothes, all these different things, but actually we don't want anything. Um, and there's an amazing documentary. Well, which what you- we need are the real basic things that if you go back to a small island in Greece, that's yeah. how they're living. We want nutritious food. We want love, friends and family. And we want a sense of purpose. Like nothing else has changed mm. in the 300,000 years of or 300,000, yeah, years of, of human evolution. It's, I know, it's amazing. And there's a, have you seen the documentary Minimalist? Yes. See, it's, it's so good about these guys who basically... Well, I have a real problem with them. Okay, tell me. But Minimalist, yeah. quickly, is just a, it's a documentary. It's a documentary, which is sort of a, about you, Sarah. It's sort of these people who yeah. basically just dropped everything, packed their bags, and just lived with pretty much nothing. That was the idea behind it. But yeah, well, th- but there's you two wouldn't problems. describe yourself as a minimalist. Though. Well, not in the fashionable sense, not in the kind of Scandi Danish furniture of, you know, blonde wood <laughs> yeah. and, and chucking stuff out. <laughs> so that's sort of, they buy into that whole. <laughs> People don't throw Scandi furniture out in the street in Bondi, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't go there. But um, it's, it's, there's that whole Maria Kondo thing of, chucking stuff out. And so people say, oh, Sarah, I really love your principles around minimalism. You know, I just had a big clean out. I'm like, no. Mm, like mm. that's not the principle. The principle is don't buy shit and use everything up until you've got nothing less uh, mm. left. And I, I, I just am going to point out, I was mentioning before about what I travel with. 
people find it really fascinating that I lived with three pairs of underpants. I got down to two pairs of underpants and I'm traveling at the moment with two pairs of underpants only for, you know, wow. two so months. So you, you wash and wear, wash and wear? Yeah. Great way to live. Yeah. Jamie but does that. I do that, yeah. He turns them inside, inside out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's easier with women's underwear because it's kind of, kind of, it's delicate and, or, you yeah. know, it's like little and you just rinse it in, under yeah. the shower. I just take it into the shower with me. Yeah. Truth be known. Um, but I'm just thinking about the whole idea of, um, yeah, the basic needs. Like that's something that I ask at the end of my podcast, at guests who have got that kind of philosophical leaning. And it comes from an Eric Fromm quote. He was an incredible philosopher and nuclear physicist in the 60s when the nuclear threat first ar- arose. And he has a question like, uh, what is left if we lose it all? So what matters if 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 we lost all of this guff, you know, mm. all the layers of just superfluous stuff? And um, it really comes down to those basic things, you know. And every guest, you know, they're huge world experts and mega billionaires and whatever, and they we all have the same answers, right? Mm. All of us, all of us. So why don't we shortcut to it? And that's what I do. That's why I don't live with all of this stuff because it gets in the way. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Someone said something to me the other day where they they said the things you own end up owning you. Yeah, and that's they, right. And it was like, you know, if you, if you, you know, you've got a mortgage and you have a car and you, all these things are expenses and they kind of stop you from doing what you want because you have to earn enough money to pay for all these things. Well, then you've got to spend all that time storing it and then sifting through it and then it sort of is there annoying you and it's like I've got to have a clean out. It's that kind of stuff that just horrifies me. So I, I you might have read this, I don't know, but all of my I Quit Sugar Money. So I had a online business with 25 staff at a time, blah, 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 
and I sold it all off and gave it all to charity. So I essentially give eighty percent of my income to charity. And um, it's an, it's an, I, I needed to question this here because I, I I read this and this is insane and I want to get into the whole I quit sugar thing. Where where does and you know having sat here for how long were you going? We're going for what twenty minutes or twenty five minutes. This sort of empathetic at, empathetic attitude that you have towards planet, people, yourself—it's about giving, giving, giving. It's the total opposite to what we are as humans. Humans typically, you know, we're, we're greedy, we want, we need, we we we're selfish. All these different things. What what? Where does that come from? Like, and having responsibility, you know, having responsibility as a child, and typically they say it's childhood. So where does that come from for you? Well, from a few places. I don't think we, I, I probably disagree with you. I don't think we're as selfish as we think we are. We've become selfish. And I think capitalism and the neoliberal model has steered us in a very particular direction to me, 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 me. You know, that is not our nature. Our nature is to actually live in a really good balance between individualism and an absolute reverence and sacrifice to the collective because we don't have horns, we don't have teeth, we can't defend ourselves in any other way other than working as a collective to preserve ourselves. And that's how we rose to the top of the food chain. That's why we're here today is our ability to cooperate and form incredibly intimate bonds with other humans. And so that is why the world is falling apart right now, if you want to cut straight to the chase, because mm. we have been sent so far over here and all the things that would keep us collectively minded, like the church or trade unions or community events, they've all been stripped. You know, mm. I could say they've been removed from the footy field of life. And so now it's just one-on-one and that's making us sad. So our real nature is to be far more cooperative and altruistic and all kinds of studies have shown that to be the case. Mm. So in some ways, again, it's about I think I just sort of, I mean, I hit rock bottom at 34. I was told I almost died. I was, I had a moment where I decided to live. And in that moment I decided I was going to live life without all of those distractions and those things that would prevent me from living a way that would, access, you know, enable me to access those really primal, original ways of living. So, you know, I, 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 that's when I just stopped buying. What, what happened? What happened when you nearly died? Well, I was editor of Cosmo and I was going out with a narcissistic Coke addict boyfriend and the two. The Perfect co- combo. Oh my God. <laughs> and magazines were really suffering and I had lots of pressure and I was out of my depth. I'd never, I got the job at 29 and I'd never read the magazine in my life. I'd never worn makeup. Like, you know, I rode, wow. a, I rode a bike to work and I've never owned a handbag in my life mm. to this day. And so I just wasn't of that world. But I loved the work. It was really, you know, challenging. But I hit a point after four years where I started to really go downhill. And then I developed an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's and it it brought up all of my bipolar, which I'd been diagnosed with at 21. So it was mm. just it was just this kind of cascading downhill spiral. yeah. yeah. And I essentially ran my health into the ground to the point where they said I was two weeks from heart failure. Like all of my organs had broken down. I'd been, I was going through premature menopause at 34. I was told I'd never have children. And so I then lost all my work. I couldn't walk. I was living in an apartment. I had no money um, and everything fell apart and I wasn't sleeping and I'd been awake for three days and I was insane. I was, you know, and I could no longer see myself in the mirror. And I, I essentially was like, right, I'm ready to die. 
Oh my um, God. And it, was, it wasn't a really dramatic decision. It was just like I'd hit the cul-de-sac of life. Like I couldn't see another way out. And then I went, hang on, there is one last option and that is to basically go back out into the world with just the clothes on my back and do it my way. Like and, and kind of just dance in between all of the stuff. And that was the commitment I made. That must 34. be so liberating when you realize that moment, yeah. when that sort of that moment hits you and you go, oh. hang on a second, I don't need to follow this sort of social norm, what everyone is yeah. doing, this machine that we're in. I can do what I want to do. Holy smokes, I, I can do that. That's an amazing it was place a, to get it to. It was a radical opportunity. But to be honest, Jamie, I've got to be vigilant in ensuring I come back to the memory of that and to the commitment mm. I made. So that's why when and so then I went off and lived in an army shed in the forest up north in New South Wales and just You said so blase. It's so, blase. So, so was there like a so there was a day where you quit your job, left your boyfriend, everything changed in a day. There was one day where you did all that. That was yeah, that was one well no that was that took a little while, but then the day I so I got up after that suicidal moment. I'll cut mm. this really short. No, don't. Honestly, you have as long as you oh, want. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, my God. You have as long this as you a, want. This is quite a funny story. And I flesh it out in First We Make the Beast Beautiful, which is took me seven years to write. Love but that. it's sort of where I go around the world once again and um, interview all the world experts, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama and, wow. um, you know, Brene Brown and Oprah Winfrey's life coach to find a path, like a path through anxiety that beyond the medical model that can work in conjunction with it. So, yeah. and that one, that one was a New York Times bestseller and actually did really well. Like it's been translated yeah. into Lithuanian, you know, whatever. Mm. You but know, you killed it. You, you know, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. that's the level you got to hit. Right but um, I think the so what happened is I I got up and I went and ate peanut butter from the from the fridge. And then I got a phone call from a sort of a talk show host, Kerry Ann Kennelly. She's an Australian. Mm. Like she's a bit of a doyen, you know. She's probably in her 60s or 70s now, but she hosted daytime television forever. You know, you've got many British versions of that. Yeah. And she just rang me out of the blue and said, darling, could you come and fill in for me as host of my show, the Kerry Ann Kennelly show, mm. um, you know, daytime <laughs> television. Um, next week I've got to go on holidays. I'd gone on there twice as editor of Cosmo to talk about bikini fashions or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. And I said, I can't host a shit. She said, you'd be fabulous. So I just I just said yes because I was in this insane place. Yeah. And so two days later I go, or, you know, it was that was a Friday, Tuesday, I go and front up and host a show. Wow. And off the back of that, somebody at the TV network saw me and I don't remember any of it because I was, my brain had checked out. Like you're I was remem- having depersonalization, dissociation. You're I was so sick. Yeah. yeah, I was so sick. But I do. I had to jump on a trampoline wearing a Fendi dress. I remember that. Mm. Um, <laughs> I really don't know why. But some woman, uh, talent person at the you know thing saw me, and then when MasterChef was doing auditions, um, somehow I became the host. I didn't wow. even audition wow. for it, and um, so I did that. So there was a t- <laughs> bit of a time lapse wow. and a bit of a you know two steps back. F- backwards because yeah. I went back into all of that but and, then and you were able to do all that while going through I was so sick and but but you were doing that and it wasn't obvious to people that you were going through all that no I didn't look great like on camera yeah. um I was also 35 by that stage and you start to you know show yeah. up on camera and you know um but I hated it so I did it and I did the first season which was the big one that if, you know the biggest, most watched show in Australian history was that series. And so, but most people don't remember me from it, which is so funny, you know, yeah. like because I didn't want to be there and I actually think I created an invisibility. Anyway, yeah. that's when I took off. 
um, I just went, I got so sick off that, like I'd really got bad. And so I took off up to this army shed just, and I, I'd sort of lost a lot of stuff, possessions, I was in debt. So I went up there and that's when I started, um, I quit sugar. So I quit wow. sugar and I just started, into the um, social media had just been invented. So Twitter had just arrived. So I started tweeting these horrible images of food, you know, vegan chocolate mousses and stuff. And um, and it just sort of took off. And then I learned how to do an ebook, and that became an Amazon bestseller. And I thought if I can just sell 100, that'll cover my costs. And mm. then, it, then it became um, a print book that became a New York Times bestseller and, and then it developed into this business, right? So it, wow. it all happened by accident but I constantly have to. And so when I got an accountant because the business was doing well, he said, what are your goals for five years? And I said, I don't do financial goals. And I said, well, he said, please just come up with something. And so he wrote on, I said, in five years' time, I'd like to have made enough money to live off the minimum wage, CPI'd, you know, until I'm 94 because I think 94 would be a good age to live to. Mm. And he went, okay, let's do that. And so five years to the week he rang me and said, you hit your goal. And I said, all right, we're selling the business and giving it all away. Oh, my God. Wow. Mm. Do, do, do you think, do you know, so. You so, sorry, that's a very long story. No, it's <laughs> bad. It's, it's bad. Great. You know, you speak about bipolar and there's a couple of questions here, but the first one is, is when you're, Firstly, did you know there wasn't something right with you until you were 21 years old and you were diagnosed? Not not right, that's the wrong way to put it. From but the age you, of seven. From the age of seven, you knew. And, and how did that manifest itself? And then when you're given a diagnosis like bipolar, was that scary, terrifying, or was it um, was it a relief that you knew, okay, now there is yeah, something? Yeah, they're good questions. I think they're, they're fundamental questions. So, yeah, as a kid, I, I was sort of, um, I grew up in a very basic family. Mum and dad, you know, didn't have much education, they're very good people but had no money um, and had too many kids and were poor. So I sort of, I didn't go to good schools. I didn't have opportunities. Um, I did really well at school but mum and dad didn't really pay much attention but I used to get bored and there was a phrase in the family, oh, oh Sarah's bored. So I would just invent things and I was highly industrious. So I had my first job at 11. I had my first business at 12. And Selling I'm, library books. Yeah, you've yeah, done your research. Yeah, yeah. yeah amazing. Or library bags. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I used to hand paint these library bags. And so then I, um, and then I, yeah, and so it, I was sort of a little different. I didn't have friends and I used to sit up on a tree and dream up ideas. And so I suppose that, and I felt very, very lonely. Mm. And I developed obsessive compulsive disorder around that age. And then um, I was just, I was just deemed trouble. Oh God, Sarah, you know, what's, what's going on now? Yeah. And I wasn't misbehaved. I kept to myself. I was very resourceful, but um, so yeah, then the OCD got out of control. How does that manifest the OCD? How, how, mm. how did that um, manifest? It's a fear that I've got to make everything right at nighttime as everyone's going to bed. Otherwise something really bad mm. will happen and it'll be, yeah. and it'll be my fault. So I've got to go, it started off with turning off taps, checking doors, which is hilarious because I now don't lock my front door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, checking they're unlocked. Yeah, that's, well, <laughs> just checking that everything was fine, but any noises. So anyone who might have bipolar or autism or anything like that, we have very, you know, if you're listening, you'd relate very sensitive hearing and sense of smell. So lots of studies have been done on this. We are we exist in 1.2 to 1.4% of the population, including in chimp um, wow. populations, and we're there to be the people that alert when there's danger, when there's poison, when there's a smell that's not right, and when there's a tiger approaching the clan. Wow. And so we are the outliers. We sit on the out of, 
outside of any community and we are attentive to what's going on. So most scientists, 70% of scientists have some form of very extreme anxiety. Same with poets, um, Winston Churchill, wartime leaders. They say 70 to 90% of wartime leaders were bipolar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. No, no, uh, Winston Churchill talks about the black dog that was always yep. there. And he, the depression, you couldn't get out of it. It was bipolar. Yeah. yeah. And so so and so when he was in full flight, he was amazing. So yeah, bipolar people are great in an emergency, dealing with chaos and all of that kind of thing. And it's an evolutionary quirk that I think mm. exists for very good reason, which is why I wrote First We Make the Beast Beautiful. The notion being you make these issues a beautiful, necessary, evolutionary, wonderful thing, and then you can then max it and leverage it and have a good life. Did Mm. you, when you were diagnosed with it, was it, uh, did it, was it scary and and how long did it take you to talk about it? Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, it was really scary because it was a long time ago, shortly after the last ice age, right? So I'm like 48 now, (laughs) so do your maths on that one. But it was, yeah, nobody talked about this stuff, you Mm. know? No, I, I, it was called manic depression back then. And, um, yeah, I was put on antipsychotic medication wow. and anti-epileptic medication. And um, so, yeah, it was – but it was relief. And I think a diag- medical diagnosis, particularly when you're young, is great because it puts it on a shelf marked, all right, this is a phenomenon, you mm. know, and it allows you to get on with your life for a little while so that you can develop some maturity. And then as I got older, I went back and developed my own theory around it. I learned to meditate. I developed other techniques that moved my thinking away from the medical model. Mm. But you can't do that when you're young. No, you need to get you, on with your life. You have mm. to, right? And yeah. You, and you have no sort of vision or understanding of the world itself. And so all you're trying to do is just manage what's happening to you right there and then. rather. And also you haven't gone through that tunnel. So you don't know what's on the other side. That's right. Yeah. You've got to have enough dots on the page to be able to look back and see it joins a line, you, you know? Completely. Yeah. So listen, we're going to stop there for part one. This is honestly, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> we're going to stop there for part one. We're going to come back to part two when I want to talk about sugar. Yes. Why it's bad for you and the reason why I have a confectionery company. And <laughs> I'd we're gonna, like to know. Okay, here we go. You ready for it? Let's debate. We'll see you in part two. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.